Hi everyone, we're Ryan and Allison Erickson. We're recording today's video from our home here in Apple Valley. We'll be reading scripture from the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 through 56. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of his Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her own age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her room and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she ex exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he is, has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Well, good morning. Thank you, Allison and Ryan. Thank you, Krista. Thank you, Garrett and Amy. Uh, we've had church this morning. Thank you, worship team. And so we're going to continue, though, in uh, our worship today as we look at this idea of joy in the midst of our discouragement. And so to start today, I have a question. That question is uh, a little bit of trivia. Did you know um, the first national park that was ever created by the United States? Well, the park is Yellowstone National Park. It was, uh, in 1872, it captivated Congress with art and journal entries and the sights and sounds of this special place. And then President Grant signed an act that set aside Yellowstone as this national treasure. But even if you haven't been there before, you've likely seen the sights of Yellowstone. Uh, its wildlife is iconic. It's the bison and the bears, the elk, 
and the eagles and the majestic mountains, rivers, and waterfalls. Uh, it's truly a beautiful place. But if there's one thing that stands out about Yellowstone, it has to be the geysers. I mean, these, this whole area sits on this geothermal energy um, that's really close to the surface. And so all over the park, this heat has to work its way out. Um, You've probably seen pictures or videos or maybe you've even been there and seen Old Faithful. It's like the most studied geyser on the planet. It's probably the most famous. It erupts 18 to 21 times a day um, and shoots water in the air that can go up to a, as high as 180 feet. Pretty amazing. But there are other ones too, like the Grand Geyser starts and stops in these powerful bursts that can go up to 200 feet in the air, if you can wait around for that one. And the Beehive Geyser has a mist that's so fine you can stand super close to it. But probably my favorite are these things called mud pots. They're like this cauldron of goo that's somewhere between solid and liquid. And it um, is like a thick pot of soup, a thick soup or maybe even oatmeal in it like burbles and blurps and uh, boils. I'm pretty sure those are all words. And it releases this heat into the air and they can be all different colors depending on the minerals that are around it. And it reminds me of this artist going crazy with paint except they have no brushes. So uh, why do I want to start with geysers and mud pots when we're supposed to be talking about joy? Well, because I want to give you a picture of what joy can look like in our lives. I mean, joy is something that starts from deep within us, from this other source actually, and it's got to come forth. Now, some of times it erupts, like this huge eruption. Hi, Leslie. Good morning. We see you. And sometimes it's this slow burble, gurgle, boil. It's sometimes muddy and cloudy, but however it comes out, it has to come out because the source is deep within. So we're going to take a look at that as we go into this third week of Advent, this joy that you've already heard from a few people about. Now, just as a recap, Advent means coming or arrival. It's marked with waiting and longing. And it, like was said in the Advent reading, it not only looks back at when Jesus first came, it also looks forward to Jesus' second coming. And so it gives us this opportunity to rediscover Christmas because we can experience Christ with us today and the joy in the midst of the discouragements that we might face even today. And there's a huge amount of joy in the Bible story, but it's surrounded by all this pain and challenge and difficulty. And we often separate those far apart from each other. But actually, as we look at the stories of Elizabeth and Mary, we'll see that that joy is right in the midst of the pain and the challenges and the difficulties. And so Luke's story starts off right after his introduction. He says, in the time of King Herod of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. Abijah is a descendant of Aaron. And Elizabeth, his wife, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both 
very bold. So right at the beginning, the author sets the time and the place. Judah is this fraction of the promised land. And it's now the promised land is this almost forgotten thing. It's under harsh Roman control. The ruler of the area is this Herod guy. He's called a king. He pretends to be Jewish, but he's neither. He's this power-hungry individual who will kind of stop at nothing to keep his control. And then you have Elizabeth and Zechariah, who are both priestly, have this priestly heritage. And in a time where the religious rulers, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, had a ton of corruption involved in their lives, you have Zechariah and Elizabeth as a stark contrast. They're righteous, they're blameless, they're faithful. All words that are used by the author. And this is especially important in light of what Luke tells us next. They were childless. See, in other words, no one sees them as blessed by God because of that except, I would say, no one except God. See, God sends an angel to Zechariah, an angel called Gabriel, and he says his wife's going to have a son, actually a powerful prophetic son who will prepare the way for the Lord. And Zechariah is so shocked that he kind of questions this, and when he does, the angel says, okay, so the sign is going to be that you're not going to be able to speak until this happens. And so Zechariah leaves the temple and has to sign and write about what he's experienced. And it seems like his wife Elizabeth is quicker to believe. She, when she becomes pregnant, or even actually before she comes pregnant, she says, the Lord has done this for me. Luke 1.25 he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace from among the people. Now, don't miss the note right before Luke one twenty-five. It says that Elizabeth went into seclusion for five months. Okay, do we not hear that differently this year? She went into seclusion for five months. Now, maybe this has to do with the disgrace that she would have experienced because in that time period, for her not to be able to have children would have been this huge source of pain and shame. I mean, this was a lifelong thing. She would have questioned herself. I think she would have questioned God and she would have been questioned by all the other Jewish women around her. And perhaps, just perhaps, she had pregnancies that sparked new hope and then miscarriages that crushed those dreams. Imagine that happening over and over. Surely her self-worth would have sunk during this time. And then finally, like, what happens to her hope and her joy as she's branded as barren? So maybe that's why she stayed in seclusion for five months Maybe she had to really ensure that the pregnancy was going to last. Or maybe, just maybe, she needed to let the hope blossom into joy in her own time. I don't, I don't know exactly. I don't think we know how she experienced this. What I want us to hear is the complex emotions that would have surrounded this joy. Because it's the complexity that I think we're facing this year. So... If you would, would you just 
be willing to write what some of your losses or disappointments are in this season um, in the comments right now because we want to see each other. We want to hear each other. We want you to know that you're not alone. But there is disappointment and there is loss in the midst of this story. We can't separate it from the joy and the joy can't be, we can't experience the joy without that. See, it says, meanwhile, in the region of Galilee, in the town of Nazareth, Nazareth was far away from Judea, the angel Gabriel makes another physical appearance. This time, it's to Mary, who's one of Elizabeth's relatives. Elizabeth is now six months pregnant. Mary is actually just this ordinary, average, probably teenage girl. And the angel makes this miraculous announcement. Now, he says to Mary, not just that she's favored, but that she's highly favored. And then he says that she will conceive and give birth to a son, and he will be great and be called the son of the Most High, and she will call him Jesus, but he will actually have the throne of his father or descendant, David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants. This is all messianic language. This is all Old Testament language for all of the promised land and all of the promised people. And his kingdom will never end. And Mary receives this news willingly. Even if she's confused. Even if she's disturbed. Even if she knows that she's going to face her own disgrace in the midst of this likely from her community, likely from her family, certainly from her fiancé. The story of Matthew tells us that Joseph is going to divorce her, which would have been what was needed in the time since they were engaged in that period, in that culture. And so her journey is not going to be easy. And maybe that's why Luke tells us in Luke 1, 39, that Mary hurries off to the hill country of Judea. Maybe she hears that Elizabeth is pregnant. But don't miss Mary's complex emotions as well. See, it's in the midst of grief and disgrace and discouragement that hope comes through. It erupts in the story. I mean, you heard it in the, in the reading that we had. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leapt within her, Luke tells us, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. How long has it been since someone's been filled with the Holy Spirit? And now it's this old, barren woman who is conceiving way more than a son. She is conceiving hope. She is conceiving joy. She is conceiving peace. She is conceiving the preparation for the good news to come forth. And so she gives this glad cry and she exclaims to Mary, blessed are you above all women and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the, that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, my child in me leapt for joy. And you are blessed because you believed what the Lord would said he would do. I want you to hear how seen and understood Mary must have felt. I mean, when no one else gets it, don't you just need one person? Just imagine the facial expression, the lines of wisdom that Elizabeth would have had, not just through age, but through experience. Mary, why are you so blessed that you would come to me? 
because you believed what the Lord did, what he said. In that moment, she didn't have to worry about what other people were going to think. She didn't have to explain herself. She, didn't, she just had to be present in that moment. And sometimes, friends, that's what we need to do for someone else to find joy. We just need to be present and to pay attention to them. So Mary's joy comes bursting through. She sang, she prays, she thanked God about what he had done for her and what he had done for his people. It's called Mary's Song. It's a beautiful piece of scripture. On one level, it's like two expectant mothers sharing in the joy in the midst of challenging and miraculous circumstances. But on the other hand, it's an understanding that receiving God's favor, friends, understand this, receiving God's favor does not mean things are going to be easy, simple, or comfortable. It's not like the Staples commercial. Or is it, you know, I don't know, is it Xfinity? Simple, easy, awesome. That's not it. If you have God's favor, what it means is that you have the ability to have joy no matter what the circumstances That's what we see in this. And there's so much that we could apply from the story. But I just want to have us focus on three truths. They might come across as simple as first, but these are things that we can apply to our life right now, this week, as we go into Christmas. And the first is that joy is happiness. Now, that might sound simple, but listen to what Mary says at the opening of her song. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my soul rejoices or my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he took notice of this lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. You you hear the excitement in her voice. You hear the happiness in your voice. And I know that some of you who think this is obvious, I know there's just as many of you that are like, I don't know, that feels a little sketchy. You've got to have joy and happiness be, like, different. They need to be way out here. I I probably even said that happiness is circumstantial and temporary, and joy is deep and lasting. In a lot of Christian circles, they even get split further, and it said that happiness is secular and joy is spiritual. But the Bible writers don't actually make this discrepancy or distinction between joy and happiness. In fact, even though the words are translated a little different in English, in the Hebrew and Greek, the Bible uses the terms for joy and happiness essentially interchangeably. So Johnny Erickson Tata is uh, a woman who was paralyzed in a diving accident at age 17. She went on to write an autobiography And last year, she celebrated 40 years of faithful ministry. 40 years. Her influence goes to people with disabilities, but way beyond. And she wrote this about joy and happiness. We're often taught to be careful about the difference between joy and happiness. Happiness, it said, is emotion that depends on what happens. And joy, by contrast, is something that is supposed to be enduring, stemming deep from within our soul, not affected by circumstances surrounding us. But I don't think that God had any such hair-splitting in mind. Scripture uses the terms interchangeably, along with the words like delight, gladness, and blessed. There's no relative spiritual value applied to any of these words. 
In other words, what I see is from that is it's okay to pursue joy and happiness, and God wants us to even enjoy those emotions. See, Mary connects her joy and happiness to God. That's much more important than trying to split the difference between joy and happiness. So it's okay to have joy and be happy. Second, it's beyond our happiness. The joy is our strength. Joy is our strength. What comes across really subtly in this dialogue between Elizabeth and Mary is super explicit in the story of Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah is this Jewish executive in the Old Testament. He works for this Persian king named Artaxerxes. And when Nehemiah heard about the destruction in his homeland, he asked for the king's blessing to return and to rebuild the city, and he wanted to start with its walls. And so the rebuilding process was physical, but it was so much more than that. There's actually this spiritual awakening that happens there. They build the walls in 52 days, but more importantly, the people all come together in the midst of that. And the priest has uh, the people gathered together, and the law of Moses is read out loud. And as the book is read people start weeping. Now, it's possible that some of these people are weeping like tears of joy because they remember God's goodness and they remember his word and they sense their return to him. But I think it's also just as likely that the people were weeping because of their guilt and their sadness because they recognize their distance from God. But in the midst of that, regardless of which one it was, Nehemiah says, do not weep, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. He continues in Nehemiah 8.10, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have none to celebrate with. This is a sacred day before the Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Friends, we can celebrate and enjoy because just like they had this moment in time to be happy and to see what God had done to restore their city and restore their relationship with him, we too come to Christmas realizing that God has restored relationship with us because he has sent his son to be God with us and he still sends his spirit to us today and he will send his son back again in his second coming to fully restore everything that's broken and so we can have joy in that. Our source of strength is the very joy of the Lord. It's what fuels and sustains us. See, our true source of happiness and joy and fulfillment comes from the Lord. And we know that this joy comes from Jesus who has ultimately provided a way for our fulfillment and for life. I mean, Peter describes it like this in 1 Peter 1. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you, are, you believe in him and are filled with this inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are, receiving the, you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. See, don't hear inexpressible and glorious joy as like churchy words that, that you know, don't have any meaning for us today. 
inexpressible and glorious joy is like going to Yellowstone National Park and seeing this water or mud erupt from the earth and wondering like, how is that happening? It is from the heat underneath the earth. That's what is happening here. It's the kind of joy that finds its source deep within. It's like geothermal heat. It goes beyond our problems, beyond our pain, beyond our sorrow, and it never runs out. Now, I'm not suggesting that, in case you're not awake right now, I'm not suggesting that you just, you know, clap your hands, you know, if you feel like happiness is the truth. You don't have to put on a fake smile. Come on, Farrell Williams, let's go. You don't have to put on this, like, fake smile and fake it till you make it. Everything's going to be okay. No. You just have to say, I know that God has the joy. And I know the joy of the Lord is my strength no matter what I'm facing. And that leads us to this last truth. That joy is our choice. So I can choose joy in the midst of where I'm at. Now, joy is a noun, but rejoice is the verb form of joy. And if you remember your grammar studies, let's geek out one more time, re means back or a return to or again. And so rejoice means a return to joy, to come back to joy. It's this choice and this action that we can take to return to joy. Remember, those of us who believe in Jesus, it's a return to our source. It's a return to him. See, I don't have to come up with this joy in myself. You might be buried in discouragement and disappointment right now and loss, and that is okay. That's your situation. But that's not the source of your joy. The source of your joy is Jesus. He is the one who provides the delight and the satisfaction. And so the process, wherever we're at, is the same for all of us. It's this turning towards that joy, turning towards Jesus, no matter what our personality, no matter what our disposition, no matter what 2020 is like, we know that we're all going to face a day or a week or a month or a year where things are challenging. But if we're honest, we have those challenges way more than we want to. So what do we do? That's where the re comes in. We return to joy. We rejoice and refuel and refill and restore that strength and renew our spirit. It's about reconnecting with our Savior who loves us and gave his life for us. And he did so in the darkest of times. So no matter what it looks like outside, no matter what it looks like in your circumstances, returning to Jesus means that the joy will follow. Peter says, or Paul says it like this in his letter to the Philippians. Rejoice. I will say it again. Rejoice. Now, remember, Paul wrote that when he was in prison. He spent two years locked up, and that was actually a time where he was able to write all these letters. He found the joy in the midst of the circumstances. It's, I think, what James, the brother of Jesus, was saying when he was talking about in James 1, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, 
And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be complete and mature, not lacking anything. Do you feel like you're lacking right now somewhere? Maybe what you're lacking is circumstantial. Maybe you think that that's a cause to not be happy, and maybe it is. But if we look beyond the problems to the promise, God is working for our good. That's why we can persevere even in this time. We don't have to thank God for the problems or for the pain, but we can thank God in the problems. We can have joy in the problems because we know that God is at work and we know that he knows us and he loves us and he, he calls us his children and he wants to partner with us. He wants us to be part of his plan to bring light and life to others. That's good news. No matter where you're at, friends, that is good news. No matter how dark it is right now, that is good news. That is a cause for joy. So how do you need to return to Jesus? Do you need to memorize James 1, 2 through 4? To consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I hate the word lack. Oh, but it's so good to know that God fills my lack. That he is good and abundant and that's a cause for joy. So I need to memorize James 1. Maybe you need to do that too. Maybe you need to go back to the Psalms and read about how things were hard, how there's raw emotion in there, but how they usually end on this return to joy because they know that God is good in the midst of those situations. Maybe you need to write your own Psalm today. You you can plagiarize. It's okay. I don't think God's going to care. You know, take the words from a Psalm, maybe Psalm 13, and then add your, your name and your situation, and then make sure that it returns to how good God is. Because when you return to how good God is, you will find joy. It will be there. Now, it doesn't have to always look like an explosion. If you just see the burble, the gurgle, the boiling, and it's muddy and cloudy, that's okay. There's joy underneath that. If you come out loud and effusive, it's okay. It's more important that people see what's underneath that. That there is joy there. That joy is from the Lord, not just from you. So friends, let's rediscover Christmas by embracing joy. Some of us, I know it's been hard. A friend of mine just just shared that he lost a, a friend to suicide. This time is difficult You might have to reluctantly embrace joy today. You might be exuberantly embracing joy today. Whichever way you're coming, you can embrace the joy. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's where we have the hope to go on. It's where we're filled with the peace and the love of Christ. So how do you need to return to joy today? Ask God. Share it in the comments. We want to pray for you. We want to encourage each other. Wherever you're at, like Mary and Elizabeth, you can claim and proclaim 
the joy of the Lord today because he's true, he's real, he's at work just like he was then and he's still working today for you, for us, for the world. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that uh, even even as I was speaking, I was sensing your joy and I pray that it comes through the airwaves, the sound waves, the video today. That no matter where a person listening is at, they would hear that your joy can be happiness and that your joy is our strength and that your joy is our choice. God, like Mary and Elizabeth, help us to claim and proclaim that joy today, whether we do so reluctantly or whether we do so exuberantly. God, we come to your joy because it is our source. It is you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us, Jesus. Thank you for coming to this earth. Thank you for dying for us. And I just pray for those out there that have never surrendered to you, that have never turned over their life to you. God, that they would hear the joy of the Lord can be theirs. That Christ has come. That they don't have to come perfect. They don't have to come complete. They can come in their brokenness and then their imperfections. And God, you fill in the rest. God, thank you for just not loving us, but also wanting to partner with us, that we could bring your light and your love no matter who we are or where we're at. God, we're thankful for you today. We're thankful for your joy. We're thankful that we don't have to come up with it on our own. In Jesus' name, amen.